Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes. Got Bryant West, draft expert of the King's Herald, joining the show. They jumped to four, Bryant. They jumped to four. Holy yeah, of shit. Course, of course, the Kings would uh, jump up the to a spot that actually makes their lives probably more complicated than if they just stayed to, at seven or eight. But, hey, that's not a complaint. You or can't better. complain, right? Like, Whoa. you can't complain, but, like, of Although, course they jump to four in a three-man draft. You and I both were complaining on Twitter right after it happened. But, you know, hey, four is better than seven. Yes, it's true. It's that when they're when – they're, they weren't called at pick seven, I was like, holy shit, the Kings are really going to get one of Cheddar Jabari. And Me I know too. that you and I both are so uh. obsessed with this fit. That I was freaking out, and then once it was four, that dream died to me. Um, I'm still the only person talking about. I don't know. Could they? Could, could they take next year's pick and move up if they really love one of these guys? But I think it's that I love both of those prospects. I would trade number four in the top four protected first rounder next year to get up to number one or number two. So would I. So would I. And maybe it's somebody thinks that, that Paulo is the same. Somebody is not Luca. Yeah. Um, I, I would very much consider, and that ended up being Trey Young and uh, Cam Reddish, mm-hmm. which fine deal for both sides, really, and kind of in my opinion. Well, I, I think Luca, I would still take over the other two, but me too. Yeah, especially with what we've been witnessing recently. But Brian, you know, we already dove into Jaden Ivy, and we'll probably. I, I mean, I, I'm gonna end up even doing more research than what we did in throughout that profile because I think Ivy is probably the center of the conversation it feels like at least to me like it's really gonna be in my mind and you never know how things play out I didn't think Scotty Barnes would jump in the way that he did last year but I I don't know that I also didn't think of it as possible necessarily um, especially with as we got closer to the draft but right now to me it's like Paulo Bancaro Jabari Smith Jr. and Chet Holmgren are going to be off the board yeah and maybe I'm wrong about that but I I feel pretty good good about it you know like i feel like most other draft cycles it's like you have yeah probably but maybe somebody else will jump like i don't know you kind of hear that with ivy a little bit but you could hear it with satan sharp too it's true it's true it's it's, i would put it at uh uh four to five odds that uh those three guys are off the board by the time sacramento picks yeah and the plan today is to dive into paulo bancaro the most complicated fit of those top three. We've already talked about Jaden Ivey in a previous episode that people can go back to. We've already talked about Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith Jr. in a previous episode that people can go back to. Those are not going to get outdated in any sort of way, except you'll hear us talking about, well, if only if they jump. Like, this would be a dream. <laughs> um, and sure enough, here we are. So, Paulo Bancaro, 6'10 forward from Duke, I'm sure most people are familiar with at this point. He had a phenomenal run in the tournament. And just to go through his basic numbers in his freshman season at Duke, he put up 17.2 points, 7.8 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.1 steal, 0.9 blocks on 47% from the field, 33% from three on 3.3 three-point attempts per game. It's a lot of threes. Um and I don't 72. actually think it's enough. It's there not enough. It's actually not enough three-point attempts. I just meant I said the word three a lot right there. Oh. So <laughs> by fault for confusing wording. 
Uh, 47% from the field, 33% from three, and 72% from the free throw line. Where do you want to start with Paulo, Brent? Uh, I think the basics first. Um, after doing a deep dive, I really would be thrilled if uh, the Kings ended up with Paulo Bancaro. Um, I don't love everything about his game. And, you know, as, as I'm sure we will talk about, his weaknesses kind of line up with the Kings' weaknesses and some pretty unfortunate places, but he's just so damn capable on offense and flashes pretty much everything you'd want in a big playmaking lead scoring big man. So, um, yeah, just when you talk about the tool set, uh, and the upside, he's got everything you'd want in a true offensive hub. Um, and maybe he doesn't get there. Uh, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to go all in on him. Like I know a lot of smart, uh, draft Twitter guys are, but, Man, he is a lot of fun to watch. I think he's going to be so much better in the NBA with with better spacing, better teammates, better coaching, and uh, yeah, everything you could want in that kind of big man. Yeah, hypothetically, better spacing. Uh, who knows if that would be true in Sacramento? <laughs> That's true. It's uh, pretty damn true. The the talent with Paulo and the reason that I think teams could consider him at one. I think that we've heard that as a conversation and I don't know that I would necessarily, I'm a very big Chet guy um, to be fair. And I would take Jabari over Paulo as well, but I see the idea with Paulo and, and really his selling point. If somebody were to consider him at one, and we've talked about this before is that he is the guy that could be a primary option on offense for a team in the NBA. I don't think that I can comfortably say that that's like, in the cards outside of outlier reaching close to ceiling for either of, of Chet or Jabari and where you see it with Paulo is the creation. You know, he's, he's a good play finisher, but he also is a good, um, he's good at starting the plays and creating the opportunities himself. Like in isolation, I, I think what stands out to me is that he's such a strong player and he doesn't have your typical like bouncy athleticism that, pops off the page or anything i don't know he's not a bad athlete either but he's not standout in that way um but he has the strength at 610 and it's the footwork to me um the way that his his dribble moves are not phenomenal but they're enough combined with the footwork that as a 610 guy with his sort of strength like to be creating for himself in isolation and and getting a decent amount of space is the primary thing that stands out is like why this guy is being considered top three candidate and even a potential guy that's going to be talked about for that number one spot is just being able to consistently create space for yourself and get to your own shot at that sort of size um, is really impressive. You know, like what did you make of the space creation from all three levels that we saw from Paulo? Well, I really do think he has the drive to be a three-level scorer um, and the passing skill to do it for others as well. Um, for a big man to have his level of, you know, coordination, footwork, live dribbling ability, and, you know, his tool set. He's got an incredible intersection of strength, size, force, balance, footwork, like you said. He really kind of moves like a, 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 a explosive wing. Uh, he's not the biggest leaper, but he's so much faster than a dude at his size and mass should be. Um, and his power when he gets the ball on the perimeter and heads downhill, like that was just impossible to stop in college. Uh, and it's going to be a real threat for him at the next level. 
he can burst past guys, finish with power, finesse, or a spin move, or he can just do a real quick pull up pretty much any point you want. So um, he shot 58.1% at the basket in non post up plays in the half court, 69th percentile, which is pretty dang good compared considering you know how much attention he was getting in the paint. Um, he was efficient jump shooter at all three levels, uh, 60th percentile on mid range jump shots, 50th percentile on three pointers. Uh, he ended the season shooting. Oh no, I'm sorry. He was 60th percentile on all jump shots and, uh, 88th percentile on mid range shots shot 47.5% on all mid range shots, which is absolutely phenomenal from a guy with his skill set. Um, when it comes to a go-to move, like, I already love his pull-up shot. If if he gets going down the hill and he gets any sort of separation from a guy, he's just going to be able to rise up. And it may not be the most efficient shot from day one, but it's good to know that he has that move. And if a guy is really worried about and sticks straight in his face, like he's probably going to get a step on him and get to the basket in one way or another. So uh, I, I just love his intersection of tools and offensive creation at, at just 19 years old. Yeah, and the fact that it's happening at all three levels, like you're pointing out, I mean, that 58% at the rim and and being able to get there consistently off the bounce, and part of that is the threat of the mid-range pull-up or even a little bit of space creation we're seeing from him um, from beyond the arc as well, which would totally unlock his game if if that became even more of a threat than it already is now. Um, I I think the the comps we hear, and again, there are like major flaws with every comp, but I think that for the idea of like picturing what sort of ISO creation we're talking about. I think of the Julius Randall comp is really common. And then like a Detroit Blake Griffin, where it's these very athletic or very strong forces that have just enough dribble moves and a threat of a pull-up that they're also able to get downhill and, and kind of work from all three levels. So just for anybody not all too familiar with Bancaro's game, just kind of to help picture the sort of player that we're talking about on the offensive end. And and what really gets it going for me is that passing that you kind of talked about a little bit. Um, and this is where what level of passer and creator he is at the next level, like the scale of this is, can he be the number one option or not to me? And when it comes to the passing, I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but 3.2 assists per game, um, in his 33 minutes that he's playing for a guy at his size and creating in the way that he is, I, I think is really intriguing to me. There was a lot of um, passes that were just not typically what you see from a big man. Like, I, again, I kind of come back to a little bit of Detroit Blake Griffin, who I, I think that when people hear Detroit Blake Griffin, they don't have the greatest picture in mind. But there was a year where, where Blake Griffin was phenomenal in his season in Detroit without that same bounce. Um, and I'm curious where you're at with the passing with Paulo, because I was impressed with a lot of the reads. I think for a guy, his size, he's making nice passes. Um, I think sometimes they were a little like, he knows that if I'm caught in a bad situation, this is who I'm going to pass it to rather than, oh, I saw this, this help side defender cheat a little bit. So instead of going to the corner, I'm going to go to the wing. I felt like he was a little bit predetermined sometimes. And maybe I would have preferred, you know, like we talk about with like Giddy, where it's like that in result wise was a bad pass, but I like the thought process. I think it was a little bit more of the opposite with Paulo, where it's like, okay, that was a solid result, but he didn't try 
the creative passes all too much to me. Uh, I think he got better and better as a, as a playmaker as the year went on. Um, and the numbers back that up. He averaged nearly four assists per game in their final 18 games. Um, I don't want to take anything away from his teammates because like he didn't even lead the team in assists. Wendell Moore was the leader there. Jeremy Roach was kind of a strong tertiary playmaker at the normal guard position. But, you know, Pablo's passing ability while demanding most of the defensive attention really made that offense work. Um, I thought, especially as the year went on, I, I kind of agree with you. I saw more of those predetermined passes early in the season, but Later and later in the season, as he got chemistry going, especially with Mark Williams in that high-low kind of thing, um, he saw plays open up. He started reading the defenses really well, saw where the doubles were coming from, uh, and really did start putting some flair on his passes. Like His driving kick game was just a huge part of punishing doubles and keeping opponents honest. Um and, you know, given that his live dribble ability and speed in the open court, he is as dynamic a rebound and go threat as you could possibly ask for. Um, while he's not like Cade Cunningham, I'm kind of struggling to think of any other big man prospects that I've watched whose playmaking chops I liked as much in college as I liked Paulo's. Um, I'm kind of with you in like, if he's going to be the center point of your offense, and like the main the main playmaker, that's going to take some real, real growth. That's going to take a really creative offensive system. So really, really, he needs to go to a team with another playmaker or two. But like, that's all the teams in his range, except for maybe you – now, Houston's got some playmakers. Nobody really stand out-ish. Um, so I, I love the Alperen Shingun disrespect in the last <laughs> 60 seconds is off the charts, Brian. <laughs> Let it, you know, if you have the two of them doing all of the uh, playmaking, that would be one crazy, uh, offensive system right there. That, that just harkened back to, uh, uh, golden era Sacramento. If they hit their ceiling <laughs> ceiling in terms of big man playmaking. What do you, what do you think of him if he's not a primary though? I think this is where the conversation gets a little bit interesting. Um, I think that the passing makes sense as a short roll passer, mm -hmm. and I have a weakness for short short roll passing. It really gets me going. I'm not going to lie, um, and I can see that with Paulo. I, I think that if he's setting the screen for Fox and, and they kind of have a little bit of a two man game with with Domas in the dunker spot, I, I understand like the question was spacing, but I can see how it works with Paulo not being a primary in my mind and in that passing kind of factors into it, but we didn't see him run all too much, uh, pick and roll as, as the role man during his time there. So do you think that that's kind of the way that he would function if he wasn't the primary option or how do you see that potentially yeah, working? I, I think so, but I want to take it a step further. Like imagine pick and roll plays between him and Sabonis. Imagine if uh, if it's the true. Kings' future offense starts making De'Aaron Fox cut off the ball more. Like, that's not a weakness. Um, and yeah, I imagine, I don't know this for any reason other than, you know. It, do you think Paulo Bancaro's camp is really interested in him coming to Sacramento? I wouldn't guess so, but it's also not the worst place if he is okay being with other primary ball handlers. Otherwise, yeah. it's kind of messy. So much of his offense at Duke was get the ball 
at the top of the arc and then figure out what to do there, whether it was drive to the basket, whether it was pull up, whether it was get deep enough to draw doubles and kick it out to guys. Um, and that's not something that he'd really be able to do in Sacramento all that much unless Sabonis really improved his uh, – got some kind of mid-range in his game or Fox was really okay being a, a off-the-ball kind of dude. But it, it, it's fun to think about in terms of, all right, what is the absolute ceiling this offense could do? Three playmakers of their talent, man. Yeah. It could be a lot of fun. It definitely could be. To your question of do I think Apollo's camp uh, would feel great about Sacramento, I had a hilarious realization kind of in between the commercial there when Sacramento jumped into the top four, but we didn't know exactly where. And then Mm -hmm. they show all the top prospects sitting there in a line. And I just like to imagine that when they saw Sacramento was the team that jumped, there was a collective sigh, like, oh, shit. Like, one of us is going there. (laughs) Like, of all teams. I hope that I hope Jabari didn't think that. It's true. He knows that he he should know this town is good, um, and I would hope Chet wouldn't think that either. Because like as you and I talked about, Sabonis and Chet is a dang good pairing. Um, Paulo, yeah. it's a, it's murkier on both directions. It's tough, and I I like all the playmaking between all of them. I think you have a really good point with actually Paulo running the pick and roll with Sabonis. I I think that that's something we could. That, that would be intriguing. And just to have that option, not saying that's like a go-to or anything like that, but having that option and every single one of those guys being able to um, drive and kick and work out of um, just having the ball in their hands and all be good cutters and playmakers between them. I, I think the ball movement could, could be on point between all three of them. The question becomes the three-point shooting, right? When you have Fox being a little bit of a shaky shooter and Sabonis the same, um, and then Paulo Bancaro in his season at Duke, again, 33.8% from three on 3.3 three-point attempts per game. Um, he did shoot 57.3 adjusted field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot shots this past season. I, I think that he was a good, uh, a pretty pretty dang good catch-and-shoot uh, three-point shooter. But you're kind of having to bet that... all. All three of those guys are on in the spectrum of what sort of level three-point shooter they are in their own ranges. They all kind of need to be on the upper side of their likely outcomes for it to work, right? Yeah, I do agree with that. But I also, you know, I understand his 33.8% clip from deep may give people pause. And I don't want to oversell it like he is an actual proven floor spacer and the numbers are lying. But I'm not really worried about it, about any long-term aspect of his offensive game, really. And, and that does include his shooting. Uh, it may not be immediate, but I'm comfortable predicting that, you know, in, in the long term, I think he'll be a positive shooting big man. Um, he improved as the year went on, uh, was cold to start the season, but then in Duke's last 10 games, he shot 42% from deep. Um, his form is pretty sharp when he's in rhythm, although I kind of think for a dude with his level of footwork that one time I don't really love his footwork is, is when he's kind of doing these um, uh, hesitation. Okay. Now I'm going to pull up into a three. His base stance is kind of really wide and led to shots being off target. But honestly, like for my, my complaint on his shooting this year is that he didn't launch it enough. Like AJ Griffin was pretty much regulated to permanent catch and shoot duties to make this lineup work. 
Uh, Wendell Moore took a huge step forward in terms of his shooting efficiencies, but like Duke's floor spacing was never great when Paulo and Mark Williams both were below the free throw line extended. Um, Paulo's three-point rate being 25% is a little too low for me considering how much of his game could be really unlocked if he was a volume-based threat to shoot from deep. Um, so while it's not something that I expect will be uh, a huge improvement in his rookie year or maybe even longer than that, like he has to know that his ceiling on offense is getting that shot to be money. So, um, and, and just looking at his form now, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it. Do I love it yeah. in Sacramento? Not really, but it's not enough for me not to take him there at number four if he is the the forward who drops. Absolutely. Unless Cheddar Jabari are still on the board for whatever random reason, um, if Paulo Bancaro is there at four, the Kings need to take him and run. Um, I think you're muted. <laughs> you're being You're being super greedy there. Dude, I am just praying. Uh, I would give anything. Um, Orlando, Orlando surprises everybody, takes a sharp, and then suddenly Houston's like, yes. well, we were always going to take uh, Ivy. So Obviously. We don't have enough guards here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The two guys that make perfect sense for the top two teams. <laughs> no, it's not happening, right? Let me live. Let what, me dream here. One of them, one of Sharp or Ivy could go in the top three. Totally. It's not impossible. Totally. That's or, what we're going to keep or, telling or, ourselves. <laughs> or if the Draft Express guys have their way, Keegan Murray will suddenly be getting a top three eye. Who knows? Our top four. Who knows what's going to go on here? Um, and we'll get into Keegan Murray at a later point. I think the issue with, with Bancaro as a shooter, um, because I, I still buy him being a – I don't think he's a bad three-point shooter. I'm not really worried about that. But is he, when it comes to Sacramento-specific fit, I don't think you can do like an okay three-point shooter as your third yes. cog. You can try to make it work, sure, because he's supremely talented and overall like the team just needs more talent. Like you take him and figure it out. But the issue is that you already have two shooters that are eh. One of them's not even a shooter at all, really, with yeah. Sabonis right now. Um, and may- maybe that changes. Maybe Fox takes a jump. I know he's like working on cleaning up his form this offseason and everything. So maybe. But, yeah, it's not that I'm like, oh, Bancaro is going to be a bad shooter. It's that the Kings can't – it's really, really hard to for all three of your primary trio to be eh shooters. And and it's not like players four through ten on the roster at that point are all good shooters. Yeah, there's no Tyrese like, Halliburton's anywhere. No, no Tyrese Halliburton, nobody, nobody healed. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean – Dwayne Dedman's – uh, t- Tim's ears just perked up somewhere. I was so, a huge Deadman guy, and I love that Tim is the one that gets all the crap too. So, <laughs> well, Tim Tim sold his soul on that. Let's be real. <laughs> Tim went all in on that. Fair enough. It, Tim, that's Tim's Dennis Smith Jr. Let's be there. Real. You go. There you go. Um, okay. So, do we have any other points on on Paulo's offensive game before we move to him on the defensive end? Uh, I love his mid range pull up. I should yep. say that again. Like it, enough that it's a he, shot in the NBA, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. His dribble to pull up game looks like he's a point guard with an extended career of doing this, not a nineteen year old sitting at six ten and two hundred and fifty pounds. Um yeah. 
that that's pretty much. I just wanted to emphasize that because his handle's damn strong for a player of his size. Uh, his decision making isn't foolproof, um, and I'd worry about it more if he's asked to come to a team like Sacramento that has real aspirations in the first place, and he's kind of struggling to figure out his spot in the offense. Um, but you know, there was some predictability in his offense later in the season. But like, given Duke's lack of other true creators, it's more understandable. And I think, as you and I, Con always says, we we judge high usage players more if they're not forcing the issue from time to time. So, I have no major concerns about Paulo Banchero on offense. Neither do I. Um, yeah, the mid range jumper that you pointed out, and I think you said the number for eighty eighth percentile, forty seven point five percent from the field. Um, he's damn good at that shot and if there's ever space creation um from the three-point line at a more consistent rate then there's really something that we're talking about here with with ben Carroll on the offensive end and there was a little bit um but we'll kind of have to see how that ends up going nfl sunday ticket is now on youtube and youtube tv which means that it just got easier to be an nfl fan even if you live far away like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Shots now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Does that. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. Defensively, he has hey, his moments. Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting one, right? Like, because yeah. he has his moments of being a weak side rim protector in their loud moments. It's kind of something I talk about with like DiVincenzo is that like I think all the things he does well are really quiet, but then his mistakes are really, really loud. And it almost <laughs> feels like the That's opposite for Bancaro on defense where it's like the things that he does well are really loud. Like if he gets a block, it's like, holy shit, you, everybody felt that. But then a lot of times there's some pretty tough rotations where he's a little slow or he's checked out kind of in typical, like I'm the number one option on offense, but obviously you don't love to see no matter. Um, yeah, let's start with rim protection and as a help defender, where are you at on uh, in the different levels of Apollo there? Because, again, there are the flashes, but they really are just flashes right now. And I don't know that I can put too much into them to say that I think he's going to be a good defender. I think you're still muted here. God damn it. I'm sorry. I keep muting in case, anybody, in case anybody hears it in the background. There's construction happening in my house, so I'm being very liberal with my mute button. Um uh, I'll just say this about his defense overall and his rim protection. Um, he's fine. That's the nice way of putting it. Like 0.9 blocks seems average at best for a dude with his size and tools. Um, and like you said, he has flashes of rim protection, mostly as a help defender. 
uh, where he ran away and tossed a shot and suddenly Cameron indoor stadium is exploding. Um, it always made me wonder why it wasn't more consistent. Um, it's fair to wonder if playing next to Mark Williams, who is as natural rim protector as you could want, like 11.4% block rate, uh, 4.8 blocks per 40. Like, is it, it's fair to wonder, you know, does that limit Paulo's opportunities to flash as a rim protector or, you know, was Paulo or Duke making Williams be sort of a security blanket on defense to where he could just not focus that much on defense? It wouldn't be the first time a star player or a I'm having star... Marvin Bagley window Carter no, flashbacks. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> I know it, it's it, not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it, I don't think they're comparable as defensive players in terms not of instincts, in terms of um, consistency. Like when I wrote up my Marvin Bagley comp it, four years ago, I was terrified of his defense, and I'm not terrified of Paulo Bancaro's defense. I'm more worried about it in the context of the Sacramento Kings, the Monosabonis, and the one of the worst defenses in the league. Um, yeah. Like, I'd love to see him more in college playing the small ball five, see if that kind of made him be more of a innate at the rim rim protector, but that just wasn't, that doesn't happen at Duke. That never happens at Duke. Coach K always needed to have two bigs on the floor at any given time. Um, you know, it his defense isn't consistent. It's nowhere near the defensive success or tenacity that Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith Jr. showcased. Um, and, like, I, I don't want to keep underselling this. He had highlights where his innate physicality and awareness shows up, where he shadowed dudes well or made great rotations. But there are plenty of low, plenty, plenty of low lights. Um Plays where he fumbled uh, his cover or was lackadaisical in pick and roll coverage or just failed to do any sort of rotation. Um, but again, and I, I hate coming back to this, and I feel like I have to say this about 80% of dudes in the lottery. This is just such a consistent thing with high usage, one and done players, and so many of them turning around in the pros. Um, yeah. And. I don't think he's anywhere near as inconsistent on defense as Jaden Ivey was. So he's fine. I think his tool set and court awareness kind of make me think that it'll catch up in time. But that's not great for Sacramento. So. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're picking him because of his all-around offensive skill set. And in my mind, just like... The way I kind of am looking at him, if I if there's anything else that you get on the defensive end, that's amazing. And you can. You can. Like, I see it as potential. It totally could be there for him. I'm also not betting on it. I'm picking him under the – with the thought that he probably won't – I'm not expecting anything on defense, pretty much. Picking him for his offense, anything else you get on defense is a plus, and I think there is a okay chance that there is more on the defensive end. Yeah, I would sure hope so. Um, he's he's just too smart a dude on offense to make me think that he won't figure out his place in NBA defense. And he's just got the tools too much. He's not the quickest guy. Like, I'm going to be a little worried if suddenly he's asked to do drop coverage. Um, but it's not to anywhere near the degree that I'm considering anybody else if 
he's the one of those three that falls to four. He I'm did running okay on that the perimeter point. too. Yeah, if he's at four, I'm taking him too. I'm with oh, you. Yeah. He he did okay on the perimeter. Like yeah, uh, again, it, it kind of all falls in this same way we've been talking about it. Like it was okay. That's about all I got. Yeah. You know, like there were moments where I was like, hey, maybe that's something, and there's other ones where I'm like. All right, well, I'm going to forgive you because of what you just did on the other end. Um, yeah, he's he's hard to get an exactly, like, strong, at least from my point of view, a strong opinion on how I feel about him on the defensive end. So I've kind of settled on, like I said, anything that you get from him there, great. I don't think that he's going to kill you on the defensive end. I don't think he's somebody that's targeted every single possession or anything like that. But you're picking him for his offense, and anything other plus you get on defense is great. Um, it is a really questionable fit with Sabonis. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there is, it, it would take a lot of effort on the part of this new coaching staff to figure out how their strengths and weaknesses overlap and how to get the most out of both of them. Um, so it, it's definitely concerning in a way that it's not for Smith and Holmgren. Um, and I think that. You know, there's always conversations on Twitter about um, – I see a lot of people have Paulo number one just because he's this dude who, unlike Jabari and Chet, can really become a, a, a primary offensive focal point. And it's the difference to me as to what you and I do when we're looking at a team construct because does Paulo have an argument for the number one pick? I think so. Does Paulo have an argument as, you know, one of the better players for Sacramento to take? Sure. It's just not as naturally clean a fit. And at some point you just don't care about that when you got talent. Talent overrides everything else. But, you know, this Sacramento Kings team ain't going to be that patient. Last year they took a guy who was somewhat of a more complex fit given their roster construction, and they may do it again if – He's the best player left on the board, but at some point, and I feel like I'm delving into the side of the argument that I don't really want to be right now because take Jed Nivey if he's the last one on the board. Just do it. It's not going to be easy, though. Yeah. Say that Sharp jumps into the top three, and it's Bancaro and Ivy. Do you have Bancaro and a tier above Ivy, or yes. where are you kind of at between the two? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not even, not even a. I like Jaden Ivey. Don't take this as Jaden Ivey slander. Paulo Bancaro's got uh, an upside that a, a, a range of upside, a much greater range of upside than I think Jaden Ivey does. I'm with you. Um, even, I mean, offensively, like the playmaking, I, I think that we've seen better passing from Bancaro, and that's a 6'10 guy. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the creation is more consistent. Um, that we've seen like the space creation and it's from all three levels that we've seen with Bancaro. Um, I, I don't know, probably a throw a, a toss up on their three point shooting. Um, but yeah, I think that you could get a plus defender out of Bancaro. Um, again, I'm not betting anything on that end or, or drafting him for that reason, but I would feel better about Bancaro defensively than I would with Jaden Ivy. Uh, the inconsistencies that you pointed out are even worse with Ivy. Um, so if that was a scenario, I would go Bancaro, but, um, 
again, it, like you're saying, it's it's no Ivy slander or anything. If it is the top three that we're considering, I'm I'm still a very much a a Jaden Ivy guy sitting there at at four because. You know, I, I hear people, a lot of people say, oh, well, we know that McNair's draft philosophy is X, Y, or Z because of what we've seen in the past. It's pretty hard to tell in my mind yeah. at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, all I know is that he's going to draft another guard. It's really if I had to come <laughs> up with something. Um, so uh, You just wait till he takes Ty Ty Washington at four. Oh, God. Sacramento would melt. It's Yeah, What what is the Sacramento pick here? I mean, it's Keegan Murray, right? Like... <sighs> Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis. <laughs> he might it's be like, the one. Even, I, it's going to be really hard for me over the next month because I don't want to slander Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray was one of my favorite options at number seven. He'd fit so dang well. If he like gets perfectly. Picked, yeah. Well, not perfectly because that's overselling his defense, I think. He'd fit really well. If he gets taken over any of those top four guys, I'm going to have a hard time rationalizing it. Yeah, I am the same. I'm right there with you. Um, AJ Griffin might be a different conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah. One we were messing around a little bit with on Twitter today, and I agree with you. It depends on what it, sort of athlete are we talking about here. It AJ Griffin being an acceptable outcome at four depends on the Kings doing homework that you and I are not going to have access to. Because if he is the athlete that he was in high school before his injuries, um, and if his future team, if Sacramento's medical staff signs out off on his medical records and thinks, no, we can absolutely take this 18-year-old kid who added 40 pounds of muscle right before his freshman season at Duke and help him optimize his strength to athleticism ratio, you know, stretch him out, bring back some of that bounce, I will be a lot happier having him in the same tier as Jaden Ivey than I would uh, Keegan Murray. Yeah, uh, the OG draft crush has to make an appearance <laughs> at some point here. We'd be remiss to not include him. Um, is that the direction we should go in next year, Brian? I almost feel like should we? Should we? Yeah. Do you have a different one? In Why mind? not? That you want to make? Right? We can just do Duke back to back. There's nothing wrong with that. It's true. I did get a lot of AJ Griffin film in this process. Yeah, Duke. Duke was fun to watch this year. Like I, I. I the Zion team is clearly the greatest Duke team that I got to watch, but like the Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter team was just so messy that it wasn't anywhere near as fun as this team. Um, this squad was fun. They were legitimately yeah. a good team. They deserved that final four appearance. Uh, and I will always remember coach K losing me UNC <laughs> in the final yeah. four. By so. the way, like Paulo was phenomenal in the tournament. Yeah, he was. I remember that people were, really starting to like smart people, really smart people were starting to have the is Keegan Murray better than Paulo Bancaro argument. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't ever one of them, but that tournament just shut all that down. Yeah. Yeah, definitely did. Um, do we have final thoughts on Paulo Bancaro here, Brian? Same thing. I kind of think 
that we've made the case for with Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren and uh, Jay Nivey. Don't overthink Paulo Bancaro. Dude's really, really good. He'd bring a lot of things to Sacramento. Is he a little redundant in a lot of places that are probably uncomfortable for Sacramento to consider? Yeah. Don't overthink it. Yep. Take him if he's there. It's really funny how often that something I tweet or something I say is like, just freaking take the best player available over the fit. Like, guys, and then I- <laughs> uh, you think I don't know this. You think I'm not already preaching this. It's about what is the difference in the talent level with these guys and how do we each evaluate them differently? I am with you, Paulo. And then I there, did that to you. Him. I did that to you a couple of days ago. You are fine. I know that you understand already, but it is very funny to me. Of like, just I put something of AJ Griffin today, right? And it's like, just what are we talking about fit for? What are we talking about fit for? I'm like, because if you guys think they're similar talent levels, then we're talking about fit, okay? But yeah. that's what matters in the first place here. It is very funny, and I know that there's going to be nonstop people thinking that I'm preaching somebody just because of fit. I'm only <laughs> considering them alongside. Any of the top three or Jaden Ivey if I also think the talent level is close enough. Now, here's a here's a spoiler for our conversation for A.J. Griffin next week. Uh, if Monty McNair takes A.J. Griffin, I am going to be ecstatic because I will then believe that they've done the homework and they've talked to their training staff and their medical staff to the point where I am suddenly confident that we are going to get the athletically optimized A.J. Griffin. If you get that with his shooting ability, yeah. Forget yep. it. He is the best fit for Sacramento. And similarly, if they take Sharp, I think there'd be more skepticism for sure. But I would do the same thing. I would believe yeah. like, okay, if this team that is trying to beat Minnesota, what Minis- the turnaround that Minnesota just had and have that happen this year, mm-hmm. they were willing to take Sharp. Like, oh, Abs. shit. All the research they did that we're not able to do and they believe in this guy, then all right, I'm on board. Absolutely. Like it takes an audacity for a team with a playoff mandate to look at Shaden Sharp and say, last time you played was almost was like nine months ago and you only played 12 games. Graduated high went, school like two months ago. Yeah, then you went to <laughs> Kentucky and like it, apparently some team scouts got to go into Kentucky practices. So that's another piece of homework that they that hopefully the Kings have that we don't. If they take Shade and Sharp, like I'll just applaud it. I will. I'm not going to be convinced that it's the safest thing. I'm going to be a little worried about the downside in taking uh, him. But like, man, that takes onions that I wouldn't have if I was Monty McNair and my job was on the line. But I wish I could. Yeah. Um, and I know I know our buddy. Uh, Kenny Carraway. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. I would run to Kenny Carraway's Twitter and see how he's reacting. (laughs) And I and I I gave him a little shit yesterday because he said he's heads and above anybody else you should consider here. And I'm like, how do we know that? We don't know that. We don't have the evidence to know that. We can't watch even if we sat down and watched all twelve of his games from that season. We can't know that from high Which school. Which, of course, football. we're going to, Brian. We have to watch all these <laughs> yeah, high we haven't school done films. It yet. Of course, of course. <laughs> we haven't done that yet. Um, but if they, you know, if a team does the research that we can't do and comes to the conclusion that he's the pick, 
I'll just applaud it. Yep. So I'd, I'd be excited there. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a lot of takes over the next um, month. And, and the number one thing I'm trying to do is make the case for guys rather than make case against guys. There are four guys on this who could be added to this Kings team who in varying degrees of, you know, talent level, I think would really help this team. And would I be disappointed if Keegan Murray got picked over, uh, you know, Jaden Ivey or Paulo Bancaro, God forbid. Um, yeah, I probably would, but you know, it's, it's, it's not like the Kings can't do something at this point. That will break my heart, and I say that like they're not going to now go take down. <laughs> yeah, like Shaden Sharp's not going to Shaden Sharp's not going to jump, and Paulo's one of the other ones taken in the top three, and then they I'm still knocking on wood now. They still I'm go with Keegan Murray wood. over Chet Holmgren. <laughs> oh gosh, who knows? Who knows? Bold of you to say they're not going to break your heart, Brian. Bold. <laughs> I don't know why bold. I said that. I just put that out on me. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, I think the next plan is going to be AJ Griffin. Then that sounds good to me. Uh, we did a lot of happen to watch a lot of AJ Griffin in the process of this Paulo Bancaro profile. Um, if anybody has questions for us about Paulo Bancaro or wants us to, I don't know, re up on Chet Holmgren, Barry Smith, Jaden Ivey, I'm sure we'll do some sort of update podcast um, with our feelings on those guys as we get a little bit closer here. Then. Let us know, and we'll try to answer questions that we can about these guys. Um, if Paulo's there, don't overthink it. Assuming Chatter Jabari is not there, I think is is the main takeaway that we have here. It is. That's mine, too. There we go. And uh, we're going to have profiles on some of these guys kind of starting to slowly come out here as we get a little bit closer to the june 23rd draft brian and i have kind of split up the potential prospects now that they're a little bit more defined with the kings having jumped to number four here so you can definitely check those out as they come out on the king's herald and all the other great work from the guys and gals there take a look at their patreon to support local independent kings coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's pulse podcast please subscribe rate and review and you hear from us again in the next couple of days